Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. And in case you haven't been doing your devotions and lamentations recently, and you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 584. Lamentations chapter 3. The title of this morning's sermon is A Cry of Hope for a Hopeless People. A Cry of Hope for a Hopeless People. Have you ever felt hopeless? There are a lot of yeses out there. Felt hopeless. Well, this, this book is a lament to cry to God out of a state of hopelessness. Lament, it's, it's from the Latin. It, it means weeping or wailing. So this, this book is, is a cry. <laughs> Cries throughout the entirety of this book. It's a weeping or a wailing. If you've heard somebody that's lost something valuable or has lost certainly someone valuable, the weeping, the wailing, the cries, the mourning. The definition of a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's not just being bummed out. It's a passionate grief. It's a enveloping sorrow overtaking you. So we have the book of Lamentations. Now, that's what we call it. The Hebrew word for it actually is how or alas. And uh, in chapters 1, 2, and 4, the very first word you'll see there is how. How, O Lord. Alas, O Lord. It's so bad. How bad it is, O Lord. And so that word how or alas is actually the Hebrew title for this book. It's like it's, the title of it is just, ah, turn to ah. Lamentations chapter 3, how or alas, oh Lord, it is so bad. Well, how bad was it? I've got to give you a brief history lesson here if you'll indulge me. Uh, This book was written not too long after the year 586 B.C. And if you're a student of the Word of God, 586 is an important year. It's the year that the temple, the first temple, the temple that Solomon built in the city of David in Jerusalem was completely destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. It was the final act of God's judgment upon God's people, the kingdom of Judah, because of their sin and because of their rebellion. And so in 586 B.C., God finally said that's enough and he destroyed the city and he destroyed the temple. This was a huge loss for the people. This is a huge loss for the the people of Israel and specifically the kingdom of Judah. This entire kingdom was destroyed and all the people were exiled to a foreign land, to Babylon. A place that was pagan, a place that worshipped false gods worshipped idols. They were put in exile there. They lost the land. They lost their capital city. They lost the kingdom. And they lost God's presence among them when they lost and the temple was destroyed. The presence of God had left. Now, this shouldn't have been a surprise to them. Certainly, it was shocking that all these things were happening. But it shouldn't have been a surprise. See, all the way back in Joshua chapter 23, verses 15 to 16, 
Before they were about to enter the land, Moses had passed the baton of leadership for God's people over to Joshua. And Joshua had conquered the land. He'd led the people to conquer the land, and they were receiving the inheritance that God had promised them. But before Joshua died, he said this, But just as all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he's given you. This was, this was the promise that God gave them to say, I will sustain you in this land and I will bless you as long as you obey the commands that I've given to you. But if you turn away from me and you turn to other loves, if you turn to idols, I'm going to wipe you out and I'm going to put you in another land. This was, this was bad. This was tragic. It was so bad that the prophet Jeremiah, now if I was a prophet, I wouldn't want to live in this time. Like put me in Solomon's time, right? You've got riches coming in from the coast and you've got all these exotic animals and, and you've got this beautiful temple and gold everywhere. Like sign me up, I'll be a prophet then. But here we've got Jeremiah in the midst of this and he has to be the witness of God's judgment upon his people. He had to be the witness of this. He witnessed horrible things. It was so bad. It was so bad in the land because the enemies of, of Judah, God actually directing these enemies, the Babylon, Babylonians or the Chaldeans, it also says in the scriptures, they came and they laid siege to the city so that they couldn't get any food. They didn't have anything to eat. It got so bad. You'll see it in Lamentations. It got so bad that Jeremiah had to witness mothers not having anything to eat and considering eating their own offspring. This is how dark it got. This is how bad it got. It was shocking. It was tragic. There was no feeling left in the people but despair and hopelessness. They wake up every morning and what do they see? Tragedy, despair, wailing, weeping, lament, grief, sorrow. Everywhere they turned, it was hopeless. Maybe you felt that way before in your life. You've experienced great loss. In every moment of your day, you're going throughout your day. Maybe you're trying to go to work. Maybe you're trying to do basic things like just prepare a meal or, or drive to the store or go to the gas station or take your kids to school. But all of these things, every moment you're doing it under the umbrella of grief and sorrow, and it's inescapable. You're at the point in your life where you say, ah, how bad it is, God. It's tragic. It's shocking. I have no hope. Jeremiah finally uh, gives us, well, not finally, throughout the entire book we get a, a wailing and a weeping, but I'd like to read verses 4 through 18 of Lamentations chapter 3, if you would. Lamentations 3 verses 4 through 18. 
Now, Jeremiah is speaking in the first person, but he's speaking as a representative of the entire nation. So this isn't just a personal attack that God has on Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah, we don't get any sense that he worshipped those false gods. He was righteous, but because he was part of the people of Judah, he was a part of this kingdom, he was representing them, and he was experiencing all of this judgment as well. But listen to this. He says, he, being God, has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and sent me, excuse me, he bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've, becoming the, I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. Do you get the picture? And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Could this really be the experience of a child of God? It is. We have it here. Prophet Jeremiah experiencing all of these things. He's saying, I've lost all hope. I've forgotten what happiness is. You could hear him writing these. with. You could just hear the tears. You could hear the weeping. You could hear the wailing. It's almost as if you picked up the pages afterwards. You'd see the drops of tears that had stained these pages. It was a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Well, we turn now. To verse 19. And in verse 19, Jeremiah begins to pray now. He begins a prayer to the Lord. Instead of just talking about his, his dilemma, he turns to the Lord and he says, Lord, verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Lord, look at upon us. Life is bitter to me right now. He says in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's saying constantly, I'm remembering how bad it is. My soul is bowed down within me. Really, it's the idea that his soul is sinking down under the pressure and under the weight of the grief that he's experiencing. Maybe you've been there before. Psalm 32, David says, before he confessed his sin, it was almost like his bones were breaking. He was so miserable. The misery, the hopelessness sunk down under the weight and under the pressure of all of this grief. But in the midst of all the darkness and in the midst of all of the weeping 
And in midst of all the despair, Jeremiah saw a ray of hope. Verses 21 through 24. Follow along as I read aloud. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Verse 21, if you see there, it says, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. And at the end of verse 24, he says, therefore I have hope. We have two brackets of this statement here. Therefore I have hope. He's not saying I just am trying to pull hope out of the air. There's something that's true there's something that's true, and because it is true, I have hope. I look around everywhere in this kingdom, and all I see is despair and judgment and darkness, but there's something that I know that is true, and because of it, I have hope. And this hopeful cry, or this hopeful lament, verses 21 to 24, we three, see three things about this hope that Jeremiah had, if you want to write these down. First of all, we see the source of hope. The source of hope. Secondly, we see the basis of hope, or the foundation of hope. The basis of hope. And thirdly, we see the reward of hope. The reward of hope. First of all, the source of hope, as Jeremiah writes. That source of hope is the truth of the Lord. The truth of the Lord. Again, verse 21 says, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. It says, this I call to mind, or I recall, or I make it return to my heart. I'm pulling something back that I once knew, and I'm bringing it back to me. If you remember in verse 17, he said, I had forgotten what it is to be happy. I've forgotten. Sometimes you've been in darkness and despair so long, it's almost like you've forgotten what it is to be happy. It's been so long, you can't even remember what it's like to smile. You can't even remember what it's like to enjoy something. But Jeremiah says, I'm going to recall something. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to bring it back into my heart. Jeremiah needed to remind himself about the truth of the Lord. Oh, how quickly we can forget God's goodness and, and when everything around us is so bad, isn't it? it it's funny. Sometimes I, I go through things that I'm trying to accomplish, and it may be a great experience. But then I go home, and what's the first thing I think about? Yeah, but this didn't co go quite right. We are quick to remember the goodness, excuse me, we are quick to forget the goodness of God. And we've got to remind ourselves, we've got to recall his goodness. We've got to remind ourselves. Because Jeremiah recalled the character of God, he had hope. Now his circumstances were no different. There's no indication in this passage that Jeremiah's circumstances had changed. And that was the source of his hope. No indication of that whatsoever. But nevertheless, he had hope. The only change that happened 
was in his heart and it was in his mind. When we are in despair, when we see no light at the end of the tunnel for our circumstances, remember, recall, have a change of heart to remember the truth of the Lord. He refocused his thought life upon the Lord, and this gave him hope. Again, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. But what was he recalling? Where were these, these thoughts that he was pulling back into his heart and into his mind? Where did they come from? Well, was this some kind of new revelation? Now, he was a prophet. He was receiving direct revelation from the Lord. Very different than what we do today. We have his revelation in his word. But in this, these days, the revelation was coming from God. But was that where it was coming from? No, these were thoughts that he had dwelt upon before. He was recalling them and remembering them. But where did they come from? They came from the truth about God from his word. Jeremiah recalled the word of the Lord and his mighty deeds that he had done. He already had these hidden in his heart. He was recalling the times that when it looked dark for God's people, God had delivered his people over and over again. He was recalling the truth of the Lord. There will be no hope for Jeremiah. There will be no hope for us if we, if you do not consider, recall, remember the source of your hope. It is the word of God. Remember it. Our minds are quick to forget. Our minds are quick to tease us and torment us and lie to us. But this book will never fail us. Recall, remember the truth of the Lord. It is the source of of your hope. Asaph said in Psalm 77, 4 through 11, you, Lord, hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. You ever been there? So hopeless that you're just in your bed, you're exhausted. You feel like you can't accomplish anything because you're so tired, but yet your mind is so consumed with grief, all you could do is stare at the ceiling and feel the weight and the pressure of that, of that lament and of that grief and heartache. Asaph says that. He's been there. <laughs> Psalm 77, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Do you hear that? I consider, I remember, I recall. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I must tell you, as the prophet Jeremiah in the darkness of the night, he remembered the song that he learned from the word of the Lord. He meditated upon it and it gave him hope. The source of my hope, the source of your hope, the source of Jeremiah's hope was nothing less than the word of the Lord, the truth of the Lord. Psalm 130 verses 5 through 7 say this, I wait 
for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. I didn't repeat myself. He says it twice. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. You may think, I need a deliverer. I need somebody to give me hope. I'm being pressed. I'm being put to the ground. It's like I'm eating dust under the weight of this grief. Remember the Lord. Remember his redemption. Wait for the Lord. Put your hope in his word. The source of our hope is the truth of the Lord. What does that mean for us today? Well, above any truth that you could ever receive, Jesus Christ is the truth of the Lord. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word of God become flesh to illustrate to us the steadfast love of the Lord. Where is the source of our hope? It's found in no one less than Jesus Christ himself. He's the ultimate culmination of truth about the Lord of hope. It's found in him. It's found in the Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, consider Jesus. Recall him. Remember him when you're in your darkest moments. Remember Jesus. He is the source of hope. He is the truth of the Lord. He is the word of the Lord. I'll ask you and I'll ask myself, to what source do you run when you've lost all hope? Is it to friends? Is it to family? Do you find yourself staring at the ceiling in the darkness of the night, considering all the ways you can manipulate your circumstances to your favor, or to somehow soften the blow of your tragedy it won't work. Remember, recall, make his word return to your heart. Maybe you need to keep a Bible right next to you at that nightstand so when that, that darkness creeps in in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, you can open his word and say, I'm ready to receive the source of hope. I've been there before, can't sleep. You know, you try and turn on the TV and all it does is give you more anxiety, especially if you're watching the news. But you pick up this book and you read and hope all of a sudden starts to rush into your heart. I hope you've experienced that. Anticipate like the watchman, waiting for the morning, the hope that the Lord has promised to you. The night will not last forever. Fix your part upon the truth of the word of the Lord. It is our only source of hope. Again, the source of our hope is the truth of the Lord. Point number two, the basis of our hope. The basis of our hope is the character of the Lord. Read with me verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Your version may read, by his compassions we are not cut off. But again, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The basis of our hope, 
Remember, the source is the word, but the basis or the foundation for our hope is the character of the Lord. It says there in verse 22 that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases or, or through his mercies were not consumed or were not cut off. These are the proofs of his love and his mercy. He's given you proofs every day if we'd open our eyes to them. Proofs of his love and his mercy. This love, is, it's, a gracious, it's the gracious love of God. It's his favor upon you. And it includes all the benefits of his favor. It includes his grace. It includes his mercy. It includes his love, his forgiveness, and his kindness. This steadfast love never ceases. Say it with me. Never ceases. This love has no end. And you may hurt. You may fail. You may even be the cause of your pain. It may be because you failed, because you sinned. But if you're in Christ, you will never be consumed. And his steadfast love never ceases for his child. Never. Even in the darkness of despair, even when you feel hopeless, his love never ceases. It says his mercies never come to an end, or it may also say in your version, his compassions fail not. They never fail. You can never find the end of them. The Lord has resolved to love his people, and that love can ne never, say with me, never be thwarted. This is a covenantal love. He makes the covenant. We just get to receive it. It's a steadfast love, an unfailing love. But you may ask, well, what about when I sin? His mercies never come to an end. His forgiveness has no end. You may ask, but, but what about when I lose everything? Isn't that the proof that he doesn't love me anymore? His compassions fail not. The love of the Lord upon you is not based upon your performance. It's not based upon the quality of your circumstance. The love of the Lord toward you is grounded in the immovable, immutable, irrevocable nature of his character. It never changes. The basis of our hope isn't upon anything we see here and now. It's based upon the eternal character of God in heaven. So because of this, we could say in verse 23, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. It's an awesome thought that the Lord is merciful and loving. That's wonderful. We just talked about it. It's wonderful that he's compassionate. But if he's not faithful, we have no hope. I could say I'm a loving person. I could say I'm a merciful person. But if I'm not faithful to extend that love and mercy to you, it is of no use to you. But because he's faithful, we have hope. Because he's faithful, he extends his love and his mercy and his compassion. And because of his faithfulness, we have hope. Great is his faithfulness. That almost sounds redundant, right? Either someone's faithful or they not, or they're not. 
once they're unreliable about one thing, they're no longer technically faithful. They're faithful most of the time, kind of, but they're not completely reliable. Either you're reliable or you aren't. You know, you, you think that car is reliable until that one day when you're running late and you really need to get going, you turn the key and nothing happens. Not, not reliable any longer. But we see that great is his faithfulness. This is an emphasis of the reliability and faithfulness of the love of the Lord to the uttermost. Let me tell you, friends, God's love and his mercy and his compassion is extended toward you, and he's faithful. But he's not just faithful. He's greatly faithful. God will never, ever fail you. He'll never, ever leave you. He'll never forsake you. We sing about this faithfulness. We say, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Count on the Lord. He's faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Bet you didn't know that was from Lamentations 3, did you? <laughs> Think about this faithfulness, this character of God. God expressed his character to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 6. When, he, when God was giving the law to Moses again, because the people had failed, right? You'd think God's got to be pretty angry. He's got to be pretty ticked off because of the people, right? But how does God reveal himself to Moses in the re-giving of the law in Exodus 34, 5 and 6? It says God came down to, uh, coming down to to Moses, he said he descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, here's his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This isn't just what God does. This is who he is. The basis of our hope is in the unchanging character of God. Psalm 30 verses 4 through 5 say, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. We sing it, O praise the name of the Lord our God. We obeyed that verse. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Why? For his anger is but for a moment. You may feel like that moment lasts a long, long time. But God says this about his character. His anger is for a moment, and his favor, his grace, is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I think this gives us clarity about what it says here, that his mercies are new every morning. Certainly when you wake up, they're new every morning. But sometimes it may not be an actual morning. It may be that metaphorical morning when you're going through the darkness of the night of your despair. And it may last days. It may last weeks or months or even years. Have hope. The morning is coming. Weeping may tarry for the night, 
but joy comes with the morning because that's who God is. He's always faithful. His mercy never ceases. I kind of know, this is stupid, but I kind of know what that's like, right? That I, we've, we just got back from our father-son camping trip last week, and I've learned, I've learned that you got to wear warm clothes, because when you go up into the mountains, even in the summertime, it gets cold up there at that high elevation. And the first couple years I went, I said, oh, I got my sleeping bag. I'm good to go. I got up there, shivering, shivering, shivering. And I can't sleep because it's so cold. And I could just remember, Lord, just help me. I know that the morning is coming. I know that the sun is going to come up. That Yeah, you're laughing at me. That sun is going to come up. It's going to warm this tent up, and once it warms this tent up, I may never leave it. I, I got to thaw out. I cannot wait for the morning to come when the sun comes up and warms me up again because I'm freezing. I'm freezing. You cannot wait for that morning to come. Weeping may last in the night, but the warmth of the light of the love and mercy of God will bring warmth to your heart again. The character of God is the basis for our hope. Psalm 36.5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Now, before you go out and buy an extremely long measuring tape to figure out how big that is, don't bother. The reason he's saying that is it's immeasurable. As high as the clouds are in the sky, as, how, as high as the heavens and the stars are in the sky, that's how big the steadfast love of the Lord is. That's how much he's faithful you will not find the end of it. Psalm 89 verses 1 through 2 say, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Again, this is not just a faithful God. We say about him, great is your faithfulness. I love this, this passage. Micah 7, 18 to 19. Listen to this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you hear that? God doesn't retain his anger forever. You know why? That's not what he delights in. You may be experiencing the pressure and the weight of pain in this life. God does not delight in that. He's not a sadist just to make you feel uncomfortable like it's his entertainment. No, no. He delights in steadfast love. This is his character. Have hope because of his character. Well, throughout the scriptures, the relationship of the Lord to his people is illustrated in the relationship of a husband and a wife, right? God pictured himself as a husband to his wife Israel in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see that Christ is a husband to his bride the church. So we see that throughout, right? But when we think about marriage today, a lot of times we ask, and you know, you read those tabloids about celebrities that get married, and you hear, will they be faithful? 
How long is this marriage going to last? You almost could feel like people are placing bets on how long it's going to last. What's the over under? A year, two years, who knows? Will they be faithful? Wife may ask, will he love me with a steadfast love? Or husband may ask, will she love me with a steadfast love? Will his heart waver toward me? Will her heart waver toward me? We can bank on it and have hope in the character of God because Jesus is the perfect husband to his people. His love is steadfast. His heart never wavers. He keeps his vow to you. He is faithful and nothing can separate you from his love. We sang it this morning. I love it. He will let nothing separate me from his love. I may have sorrows. I may have woes. My friends may come. My friends may go. But he will let nothing separate me from his love. He is the perfect, faithful husband. And if you ever in a moment of doubt to say, I feel so unloved. Remember Romans 5, 8 about this perfect husband. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners at your worst, he's faithful. Christ died for us. There is no faithful lover like Jesus Christ. Trust his character. Remember his work on your darkest of days, the brightness of his love shines ever clear. The basis of our hope is the character of God and the character of God the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for you. Well, our emotions are fickle. I was trying to think about this. You seen Rocky, right? You seen Rocky? Remember, uh, was it Rocky 3 or 2? I can't remember. But if you remember Rocky, Mick gets Rocky, says, we're going to do some speed training, right? And what does he do? He gets him into this like pen or this this alleyway or whatever that's fenced off and he throws a chicken in there and he's trying to chase this chicken around right and the chicken he like right when Rocky's about to get it that chicken turns to the right or turns to the left he can't figure out the path of the chicken because it's going all over the place that's how our emotions are I don't know if you've been there I have I can't put a pinpoint on my emotions sometimes there's nothing even wrong but my emotions are downcast in my soul but not so with God not so with him. He's told us that his love is steadfast. His mercy will never be cut off. His faithfulness is great. It's immense. Plant, friend, plant your emotional life and draw your hope from the immutable or unchangeable character of God. Are you starving for love? His love is steadfast. Has someone failed you recently? God's compassion for you never fails. Have you been unfaithful or has someone been unfaithful to you? Trust in his great faithfulness. The basis of your hope is the unchanging character of God. Verse 24 gives us the final point. The reward of hope. The reward of of hope. It's the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 24 of Lamentations 3 with me again. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What does it mean when he says, the Lord is my portion? I, I think he's referring back to uh, 
when the people of Israel were being allotted their land, okay? Going back now, Joshua just conquered all the nations, and now they're starting to divvy up the land amongst the tribes of, of the people of Israel. But he says something, God says something to, to, uh, to Aaron and to the Levites, the tribe of Levi. He says in Numbers 18.20, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. What God was saying was, look, I'm not going to give you a section of land. Now, you'll have houses to live in and cities to call your own, but you're not going to have a whole plot of land because I am your portion. You see, the Levites were the ones that got to be closest to the representation of the presence of God amongst his people. They were the ones that ministered at the tabernacle. They were the ones that were overseeing all of the worship of God. And so he said, since you get to do that, I'm not giving you land. I am your portion. I am your inheritance. You're getting something better than a piece of land. You're getting me. But in Jeremiah's day, as he's writing Lamentations now, the temple was destroyed. The people were in exile in a foreign land. There was nothing earthly that, that he could have been expecting. But Jeremiah says this, it's all been taken away, but it's enough that I get God. And it says in verse 25, I'm willing to wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. Jeremiah is saying, everything may be gone, but I'm going to wait for this, and this is why I have hope, because there is a reward. It may not be a change in circumstance, but it could be something better than that. I'm going to get God himself. He's worth it. I'll wait and hope and anticipate him. What he's saying is, whatever circumstance you put us in, Lord, you are all I want. You are enough. Just you. Now, God had given the people innumerable blessings in the land. He gave them food from crops they did not grow. Remember, they inherited a land that people had already been taking care of. So they inherited crops they didn't grow. They got to enjoy fruit from vineyards they didn't plant. God gave them protection. He gave them victory. He gave them blessing. But they had forgotten what was most valuable, and that was him. So he took it all away so that all of it was gone. He gave them warnings, warning after warning. You're enjoying the blessing too much, but you're forgetting me. And finally, he took it all away. All they had left was hope in the character of God. But he sent them into exile, and he destroyed all they had to remind them that he was to be their greatest reward. Maybe you're there right now. Sometimes God's all we got, but he's more than enough. Listen to what David said, the man after God's own heart, in Psalm 142, verses 4 through 5. Look to the right and see. You're right. There is none who takes notice of me. There's nobody around. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. I have nowhere else to go, but you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. You're all I've got, Lord. 
He says also, David says in Psalm 16, verses 5 through 6, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. He didn't have land. He didn't have any of that. But you know what he had? He had God. And he said, this inheritance is beautiful. It's better than anything in this world. Take it all away, Lord. You are my portion. You are the most beautiful inheritance I could ever have. I love what, again, Asaph, Psalm 73, verses 25 to 26 say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When everything is gone, friends, when God takes it all away, remember, you still have him. He is your portion forever. He's more beautiful than any inheritance you could receive in this life. He's the greatest thing we could ever have. Our hope today is no longer in a land or in a temple. Our hope for God's presence is found in a person, Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You get all of God when you receive this Jesus. All that we could ever want in God is found in him, and he's given himself to us and for us, and he's promised to return so that we could be with him forever. Paul said, I'll give up everything that I may gain him. He's better than all of it. Our blessed hope, hope again, there it is. Our blessed hope is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. We're going to see him and we're going to get him. And all this stuff, everything in this world, it's going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He's given you himself. And he will be our soul-satisfying portion forever and ever. Let me ask you and ask me, if all you had left was the Lord, would that be enough? Maybe you're sitting here today and, all, and you've just lost everything or perhaps you've lost what is most precious to you. This merciful, loving, faithful God, he may not change your circumstance. He may not allow you to recover what you've lost in this life. But he offers something far better than anything or anybody in this world. He offers himself to you. And he may have taken away everything, just like he did to Judah. He may have taken it all away to awaken your soul to the fact that he wants to give you his very best, himself. Can you say with a genuine heart, there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. If the Lord alone was your portion, would he be enough for you? Makes it hard to complain, doesn't it? God, you've given me everything. You've given me yourself. Well, again, the source of hope is the truth of the Lord. The basis of hope is the character of the Lord. The reward of hope is the presence of of the Lord. Well, this chapter, this text of Lamentations 3, 21 to 24, is in the exact center of the book of Lamentations. In the exact center. You got the same amount of verses on either side. It's right in the center. And it's truth about the character of God, this hope in the presence of God. This was 
central, it was the center of Jeremiah's passionate grief and sorrows, its lament. In the midst of all the tears, in the midst of all the weeping, all the heartbreak, Jeremiah found out who was at the center of it all. It was the Lord. Friends, when you're trying to live through the tears, through the weeping, through the heartache, through the sleepless nights of darkness and lament, know that God is at the center of it all. He's right in the midst of your pain. It's his design to remind you that his steadfast love never ceases. Remind yourself of this. He's reminding you that his mercy has no end. He's teaching you that his compassion never fails and that his faithfulness is great. He's in the center of it. We got to fix our eyes on him. And above all, he may take away everything, even what or who you love most, to teach you that he's all you need. But he's more than enough. And because he'll never take himself away from you, you have hope. You have hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and you may abound in hope. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for him, all you who wait for the Lord. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for our hope is from him. He only is our rock and our salvation. He only is our fortress. We shall not be shaken. On God rests our salvation and our glory. He is our mighty rock. Our refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. For our heart, even when we forget happiness, our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And all this can be true so that we could agree with Job that said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Let's bow. Father, this hope is, is bigger than every problem we have in this life, every turmoil, every trouble. Father, I, I pray that whoever may be hurting now or who's hurt in the past or inevitably will hurt again in the future, I pray that we would remember in the midst of all of the passionate grief, all of the deep sorrow, there is always hope in the center of it when we remind ourselves about your truth, when we trust in your unchanging character, and when we see that our greatest reward can never be taken away, who is you? You will never remove yourself from us, from your people. Let us find our hope in that, Father. I pray that every single soul in this building right now would come to the place in their hearts and minds that say, my portion, my reward is God alone. God, you could take it all away. I'll still be satisfied because I've got you. You're my all. You're the best. 
You're everything to me, Lord. Father, let that be true of us. And when we say that, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt we could say, we have hope. Give us hope, Father. Even in the midst of the lament and the weeping and the wailing, give us hope. Give us you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.